Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad that you are worshiping with us. Uh, we are finishing a series on marriage and relationships today. But before we get into that, um, I'm just going to take a minute here for uh, kind of a, a COVID update, kind of some logistical changes that we're wanting to make in the future. And we had this planned um, to make this announcement. We've had it planned for a couple weeks before we knew that the governor was having a press conference on Friday to announce some statewide rule changes. So this isn't particularly connected to that, but since he had that press conference on Friday, I feel like I need to address some of that because if you saw it or read anything about it, I've noticed with a lot of people there seems to be, it brought up more questions and it felt like it did answers. Um, so what he, what he said on Friday, there's a couple of changes, is that starting April 1st, he is going to, the, the mask mandate in Arkansas will be gone, uh, provided we hit certain numbers throughout the month of March. And effective immediately, which was Friday, all of the mandates, I get, I'll, say, I'll say his words, all of the directives that were over for businesses like restaurants and venues, all of those directives effective immediately moved from directives to guidance. They need to find the difference between directive and a guidance. Directive means it's a law that they can prosecute you for. Guidance is something that they recommend but won't, but won't, won't enforce it as if it were a law. So we could, we could talk about the ins and outs and the ups and downs and the pluses and minuses of that. But we'll just focus right now just on how that applies specifically to us here at the Grove. And the, the, the reality is it doesn't, really, it doesn't affect us at all. Because the laws in Arkansas have been that the governor believed that he did not have the authority to put any restrictions on churches at all. So there never have been any directions, directives for churches. Anything that a church does that follows um, what the state recommends has always been guidance. He didn't feel like he had that authority. And so everything that we have done as far as restrictions, wearing masks, limiting space, those kinds of things... Those all have essentially been voluntary on our part. And what's happening now is that, that that's now going to be true for everyone. So we were always operating under what the, the, the health department was considering guidance. We were always operating under that. So that it shifts for other people doesn't really change anything for us. So as long as the guidance for venues such as ours, they have the recommendations that they do, we will continue to follow that guidance as best we can. Um, and so, um, we'll continue to have masks. We'll continue to, to distance like this um, until, until something else changes. But the plan was all along over the last few weeks. To be kind of, so, right around, we, so we, ha we, we opened back up late May. And then starting in the summer, we had kids ministry and our youth ministry on Sunday mornings as well. And then as it began to peak late fall, um, we became more restrictive, started requiring masks throughout the service instead of just as you get to your seat. We stopped doing kids' ministry. We stopped doing roots. And as I've been watching this graph that kind of shows the average seven-day cases, it's, I mean, it shot up pretty good, peaking in the holidays, and it's been on a pretty steep decline since then to where it's, it's now getting down to where it was when we were comfortable having kids' ministry and roots. And so I know that one week of that is blizzard. I don't want to get too much in the weeds with this. I feel like i got to explain everything to you because some, some of you are going to be like, that's too much information, but some of you like be glad that we really have thought about this a lot. 
Um, I understand Blizzard Week, the, the numbers were incredibly low because no one was leaving their house to get tested. But even if you take the Blizzard Weeks out of it, we believe that we're getting back to where we were summer, early fall, and probably going to continue to go down even from there. And so starting March 21st, which is three weeks from today, we are going to reopen Grove Kids on Sunday morning and reopen Roots on Sunday morning as well. We'll continue to have the same distancing and mask guidelines and policies that we had before when we were doing those things. Um, but then we will start back March 21st, both services, um, Grove Kids, ages 2 all the way through 18 in our Roots ministry. So if you have any questions or comments or concerns about that, please feel free to let me know. Um, if you do not feel particularly comfortable dropping your kids off in Grove Kids, it's, I just want you to know you are, you'll be continued to be welcome to bring your kids here into the service. Um, but wanted to let you know, again, starting in three weeks from today, on March 21st, we will start having um, uh, our kids' ministry and our roots' ministry on Sunday morning. So now would be a great opportunity, if you've never served in Grove Kids, to let us know you'd be interested in that, where you worship one service and you serve in a different service. If you've been in that ministry before, we look forward to having you back. And most of you can expect a call from somebody at some point in the next few weeks. So, because we, we would love to have as many of you as possible serving our awesome kids back there. So, awkward transition, hard break. Whoop! Okay, we're back to the marriage series. And in our family and marriage series, there's a verse passage that we've just kind of been covering over and over again every week. It's in Genesis chapter 2, where um, as God brings Adam and Eve together, it talks about that a man will leave his father and mother and, and cleave to his wife and then. Jesus repeats this in Matthew chapter 19 as he's talking about what he believes about marriage. And again, we've looked at this every week, and we'll look at the Matthew 19 passage again, verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so right here we get a really good picture of what God's idea of marriage is. is the idea of oneness, that God is bringing two different people together to become one and to have this deep level oneness and this deep level of intimacy. And this is God's plan, this is his desire, this is what he wants from us, but there are all these things that are preventing that. And so what we've done in this series, we've looked at uh, kind of what, what, what the top reasons for divorce are right now, things that people say, the, what the research says. And we've kind of looked at five of them, and we started four weeks ago, and we talked about that really just even that initial coming together where it says here you leave your father and mother and start your new family. Sometimes it's that process that it's hard for in-laws, parents to let their, their, their family leave and really become one, one thing, and that, and that there's this constant pressure from other family relationships that can prevent oneness. We talked about that. And then the next week, we talked about money, which is one of the, uh, like the number two most stated reason why people are having divorce, is that, that money can just become a wedge rather than being something that we, a problem that we are tackling together, we let the stress of it divide us. And we start talking about my money and your money, and then we don't have a, a we team mindset about it. Two weeks ago, then, we talked about sex and infidelity and how looking for intimacy and connection outside of the relationship 
um, is, destroys marriages and how we can do a better job of making sure that we're keeping our desire and our connection for intimacy within marriage. And then last week, Mark taught, and he said he had the most important one, which, I mean, I'm not going to fight with him about it, but, I mean, whatever. Um, he said he had the most important one, which I, I, I'll, I'll give him some credit for it, because what essentially, um, you can have all the problems in the world, and you can't fix them because you don't have the ability to communicate about it. You can't talk. So money's a problem, and you can't fix that problem because you don't have great communication. You can't talk, and so the, the, it becomes a challenge. And so he just gave us some, what I thought was just some great encouragement and some great instruction on how to have better communication in your marriage. And this week, again, you know, I, I, again not, not, not to compete, I think just like last week, um, this really does have an overarching um, it affects all of these issues, and it really is kind of this big picture issue that really affects all of them, and it has this idea of what really is my level of commitment in marriage in the first place? Do I come to this with an idea of commitment, or do I come at with a, well, we'll just see how, how it goes, and, when, and, you know, and, and, and too often we bring kind of a, mm, we'll, we'll see, we're not really like lifelong committed to this, and I was thinking about this, this as I was getting ready for this week. Um, when our older, when our adult daughters were living with us back, back living with us during the pandemic, um, how many of you have heard of the clothing company ASOS? Okay, well, I'm about to. I'm, I apologize then for about to tell you about it. They have one of the craziest, most generous return policies of any place I've ever heard, and I, I, this is a good thing and a bad thing that I have this notification on my phone. There's one credit card that, that we let the girls have a, a copy of for, for emergencies or whatnot. And sometimes, they, again, it's meant to be used for emergencies, but they use it for other things. They can pay us back. But I get notifications now anytime anybody uses it. It just pops up on my phone. Your uh, purchase for X amount of dollars from ASOS was approved, whatever. And I'm telling you, that number would just be extraordinarily terrible. And I'm like... Who is spending that level of money? So now I'm going around the house kind of like, what, 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 what is going on here? And then they said, no, it's not, no, it's not, a, big, it's not a big deal, Dad. This is the first time this happened. It's not a big deal, Dad. There were two dresses. I couldn't decide between these two dresses. I wanted one of these two dresses. And so I got both of them, and I wasn't sure what size it was, so I got four of each. And so I've got eight dresses coming in, and I'll try them on, figure out which one I like, and then I'll just send the other seven back. I'm like, okay. And then sure enough, like a week or so later, it's like, your credit for ASOS was approved. Da, da, da. And I'm like, okay, this is what we do. And there's just this sense around the house, like we'll just buy all the things and then send all of it back except one. My, my wife did this recently with, uh, we got some new furniture in our living room. We were doing some remodeling in our house and we needed end tables for our, uh, our, our new couch. And so she bought two pair and so that all four of them came and she unboxed one of each one of them set them there it's like i like this one so we boxed up the other one and sent those two back and you know they they now ups will just come to your house and pick it up you don't have to do anything just put it back on the box and just put the sticker back on it and they'll take it away nothing and that's just kind of the way things are now i mean um i don't want to be too critical because, you know, Walmart's been doing this for a while, right? With the, with the incredibly... 
with the incredible generous return policy. And I took advantage of this even back when I was in college. I got a, this is going to sound like I'm 100 years old. I got a telephone, like a hardline telephone with a built-in answering machine on it for a graduation present. And after a year, after a year, it, it didn't work anymore. And I still had the box. And I just took the box back to Walmart. And they gave me a full refund for what was paid for it a year ago. I took that money and was able to buy a better, newer model for less money. And, I, and then I took that back. And I did this every year for four years. And I would make like three bucks every year and get a brand new phone. And Walmart didn't care. And I, I, you can, I guess you can judge me if you want. And I'm not the kind of pastor that's going to stand up here and say, and that's what's wrong with society today. You should go to the store and buy it. And if you don't like it, tough. Like, I'm... I'm I'm not that guy, right? Take advantage of all the return policies for Amazon, Walmart, ASOS, all these. That's what they're wanting to do. They're, they're still, I promise you, they're all still making their money, right? But what I will say is that it does become a problem when that attitude begins to kind of seep into the way that we view relationships. When you begin to view friendships or relationships with your family, or relationship with your spouse in the same way. I'll try it out. If it doesn't work, I can give it back. I'll try it out, and if it turns out I don't like it, if I'm not feeling it, like I, at any point I want, I can, just, I can just give it up. I can quit. I can give it back. When that begins to translate into relationships, we've got a real problem. Because we have this attitude that somehow our marriage relationships, our friendships, our connections with our family are disposable based on your level of enjoyment or how easy it is, how fun it is, how much you want to do it at that particular time. And it is that idea about the looseness of marriage and family commitment that I believe is one of the top things that is destroying families. And now, Jesus has something pretty serious to say about that in Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and he is, at this point, he's going through a lot of these Old Testament laws or ideas that were common at the time, where he's like, hey, you've heard this. You've heard it said that murder's wrong. But what I'm telling you is, even getting angry with somebody is bad. You've heard adultery is wrong. I'm saying looking at somebody lustfully is wrong. And so he's kind of doing this, this, this play on you've heard this, but actually this. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, he says this. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, what I, what I don't want to happen here is that, like often you can bring up a passage like this where God speaks very strongly against divorce. And that what happens next is, is that either what I say or what you feel feels like judgment against maybe some of your past. And there may be something that you need to do to kind of reconcile some issues from your past. But that's not what we're trying to do in this moment. In this moment, we just want to consider the fact that in the relationships that you have now or the relationships that you're going to have in the future, 
It is God's design, it is God's intention, it is God's command that we figure out a way to have this commitment that says, I am in this forever. And he does make an exemption here for sexual immorality. I think it's very important to add to that exemption abuse. But too often we just start adding way too many things into this category of what counts as one of those two things. And what happens is we have this attitude that says, really what, the, really what God wants is God wants me to be happy. And the number of times that I have heard that as a justification for the splitting and tearing apart of a family, it's astounding to me. And, and what God wants from us is, is He wants us in our marriage to have oneness. He wants us to be connected, that we leave our father and mother and that we come together and become one. And, it says, and He says, and what God brought together is not ever intended to be separated. But when we come in with a short-term mindset, then we start to have real significant challenges. Because I'll say it this way and try to say it relatively simply, that oneness requires commitment. And there's a sense in which I want to be able to say that, and it just becomes, it's just obvious. I'm going to give myself fully to my spouse and ask my spouse to give themselves fully to me, and we are going to come together to be one, necessitates that the other person says, I am in this, no, I'm in this for no matter what. No matter what, I'm in. To have an attitude that says, yeah, okay, let's do this. And I'll be with you if, you know, I mean, if it works out, you know, as long as it's cool, as long as there's no challenges, no problems, as long as you're making me happy. There's a sense in which there's really no, there's no connection, there's no intimacy. If I think that at any moment you might leave, or I'm never going to give myself fully to a relationship if I've got one foot out the door. I've got an escape plan. I've got a parachute that I'm wearing. Whatever metaphor you want to imagine, I'm never going to be fully into it if I have a plan of how I'm going to get out of it. That's something, but it's not the oneness and the intimacy that God demands from us. In order for that to happen, there has to be complete trust and commitment. Now, in a minute, I will talk about my marriage, particularly some things that my wife and I have been dealing with lately. But before that, I would like to use a completely harmless illustration, if you will permit me. So, as some of you know, and now everybody really desperately needs to know, I'm not going to say I'm Arkansas Razorback Basketball's number one fan. I'll let you say it, though. But I, 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 I love it. I've loved it my whole life since I was seven or eight years old. I mean, I just have been very passionate about it. Being able to be here where they play their games is awesome, and I'm very passionate, and, and I love it. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes you say, I overreact to it. I get, I get way too into it. I, I, I get too angry. I get too frustrated. I get too nervous. And I'll say this to myself, or I'll say it to my friends. I'll just look at them and say, I wish I didn't care this much. I wish I could just be like, oh, look, the other team scored a basket, and we have not scored for a while. I, I sure hope we do better. Come on, guys. Like, I, I wish I could just be like, like I, but I can't. And you can judge me about that if you want, and that's a, that, that's a topic for another day. 
But the reality of it is, I've, I've given my heart to this. I've given my heart to it, and so I feel the disappointment deeply. But also, I feel the joy of it very deeply. And so there's this, there's just this connection there. And so then, I've got a group of friends, and my wife, to some degree, also understands this, that this, this dude is just intense about it. And so there are certain games, whether I'm watching them on television or I'm at the game live, there's, there's just certain games that I can only bring certain people to. So I've got two tickets, I've got to bring somebody with me, and I look at a particular game, I say, well, this is going to be an easy game, somebody, I, I, I can take anybody to this game. But I look at a game like, okay, this is, like a, this is going to be like a big game, and I know that I'm going to overreact at multiple points during this game, and there are only certain people that I can have be there with me. Because if I were to take some of you, and you heard the things that I were to say, say in a moment of passion, you would begin to have doubts about whether or not you have planted yourself at the right church. You'd be like, that referee, he's a human being. He has a family. How, how could you say that about him? Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's... So, so anyways, so I have this group... Again, including my wife, who just understands that in that moment, that whatever's inside of me, be it healthy or not, whether you understand it or not, whether we are going to agree in this moment of whether or not that level of passion about sports is appropriate or not, here's the thing. Whatever is inside of me, when it comes out, my friends, my wife, they understand. And there is no change in relationship. There's no, there's no shame. There's no shunning. There's no confusion. It's just whatever is in there, whatever I am, and my, it, what, whatever I do, whatever comes out of me, the relationship is solid. And this is what God is calling our marriages to. And there's a lot that happens in life. And there's a lot that's going on in your heart. There are things about you that you're just now discovering. There are things that are true and fear and anxieties and things that are going on inside you right now that you're not even completely aware of. And you need a relationship that says, no matter what is in here, when it comes out, I know that the relationship will be strong. Oneness requires commitment. And part of that, it, it, one of the reasons why that's true is because conflict is inevitable. You cannot go into marriage with the idea to say, I'm going to hang in this as long as we don't fight, as long as there's not conflict, as long as it's easy, as long as we're getting along. I mean... To anybody who's not married, I'll just, I'll just put the spoiler out there right now. That's not going to happen. If that's your attitude, don't do it. Conflict is inevitable because what we're talking about in a real marriage where God is bringing two people together to become one, different ideas, different philosophies, different values, different ways of doing these things, and we're going to take these two people... And not only are we going to make them roommates, we're going to make them live together, make them live together forever. And suddenly you've got to figure out this process by which two people can become one family with one set of principles, one set of values. And there is going to be a lot of conflict. 
And you've got to decide beforehand whether or not this is the person I want to do that with. Dating, if you want a trial period, if you want a return policy, that's what dating is. You can date somebody for as long as you want and after six months be like, I've decided I don't like the way he smells. And you can just, you can just send him back. I don't, you, don't, you don't need a good reason. Again, it's like going to the Walmart counter. I'm, I'm returning this. Why? None of your business. Take it. Give me my money. That's what you can do in dating. It'll still hurt a little bit based on how long you've, you've been. You've been dating. I'm not, saying it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's... God says that's okay. But the point in which you say, this, I choose this one. This is the one that I'm willing to have conflict with and promise that we will always resolve it. This is the one that I will get to know and allow get to know me. And no matter what comes out of me or what comes out of them, we're going to allow this to draw us closer together and, and, and draw us towards oneness rather than draw us apart, uh, separate us. We've got to make sure we understand the difference between dating and marriage. Marriage is the point in which I say, I am completely committed to oneness. And so, it really, it means conflict. I mean, just being roommates with somebody is, is, is going to require conflict. And that's the way a lot of marriage fights initially start. They start with kind of roommate conflicts. Why do you put your socks there? The, 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 laundry, the, 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 the laundry bin is just right over there, and you put your socks on the floor next to it. Or the, uh, you put your dirty laundry on top of the, you, you didn't even just, just, you put it on top, what, what are you doing? That, that's not the way we load the dishwasher. You can't have the bowls facing different directions. The bowls all have to face the same way. In fact, they need to face this way because don't you understand? And you have to put the forks upside down. Otherwise, you're going to... What's wrong? Like, what is wrong with you? I hate being late. Why are we late all the time? Like, we, I, if you know that it's going to take 10 minutes to get there and we need to be there at 9 and 8.50, we need to leave at 8.50. And so if you know that... You, you need, maybe you need to be ready at 8.40 because we're not going to be late. So you have these kinds of conflicts just about logistical things just trying to figure out how to how to live in the same place with that person and you, you begin to realize how many of the things that were always there that you had just decided to just to ignore or the kind of things that you're like uh oh there they go with that again and then you say okay well it's been fun I'm, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go home now and so you leave and go home and you're driving home saying that that person crazy but then you, you sleep, you go to bed, wake up the next day, okay, it's fine. Then you start doing that, and when you're living together, and they start being that crazy that you don't like. Okay, I'm going to go, oh, wait, I'm already home. And guess who else is home? They are. And guess where they sleep? Right next to you. And suddenly you're having to deal with some stuff that you hadn't been dealing with before. But then suddenly the conflicts start to get a little bit deeper, and they're not about socks. They're not about, they're not about being late. They're not about dishes. And this happened to Heidi and I just this week, where um, I was sitting on the couch. We had just gotten back from somewhere. I was sitting on the couch, and I was playing a game on my iPad. And she came in and said, um, it just seems like you're on your iPad too much. And she said it with more intensity than she probably should have. 
And I'm not saying that she didn't have a point, but there was obviously something else beyond there. Like, this, this problem was not going to get resolved by me setting my iPad down. And so I'm like, what else is going on here? Like, we, 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 don't, we don't fight about screen time and laundry and dishes. We don't, this is not, this is, we, no. What, what, what's going on here? And like I said, we just moved back into our house a couple weeks ago from uh, doing some remodel. And she's like, I'm, I'm just stressed out by there's just still so much left to be, to be done. And so then we, we talked about that for a little bit. And it became pretty obvious even after that. It's like, hey, iPad, I'm stressed about all there is to do. Hey, what's, what's really going on? And then we had a, a really good talk about that. I say really good. I say it was resolved really well. It wasn't good at the time. And you don't get to know about this. You don't get to know about it. But just understand that the thing that was under the thing that was under the thing, that was the, that, that was the conflict we had. Where we both began to kind of express some, some fears and anxieties and frustrations that we have with each other about the way that we approach certain things and about certain attitudes. And, and in the process, we're kind of, we're learning so much about ourselves and we're learning so much about each other over this last year and, and just learning about our own fears and hurts and anxieties and past and trauma and all these things that have always been in there and that it was, it, it was never in 27 years, it was never about socks, it was never about screen time, it was never about dishes. It's all these things that we didn't even know about and suddenly, after 20 years of marriage, 25 years of marriage, 26 years of marriage, these things just start to come out and who I really am and what I really struggle with and what is going on in the deepest, darkest parts of my heart, they come out and they come out of her and this is what we're talking about and in the end there's a deeper level of oneness I know you better than I did a week ago you know me better than I did a week ago and we can talk about things that make us very anxious and make us very scared and in the end we love each other more and that necessitates that demands commitment those conversations can never happen if one of us has an attitude of, if she starts acting crazy, I'm out of here. If he starts acting like a jerk, I'm out of here. Because the reality of it is, it's going to happen again sometime in the next few weeks. I'm going to be a jerk. She's going to be a little bit crazy. And, and it's going to continue to happen but in the process of learning and growing and understanding each other and the healing that comes from having these conversations, oneness intensifies. But if you continue to come into it with an attitude that says, ah, as long as, I don't know, as long as it's easy, as long as it's fun, as long as I get what I want, then you're, you're missing out. Conflict is inevitable, but is in fact the resolution of that conflict that brings the greater oneness. And ultimately, oneness requires commitment because intimacy is crushed. It's crushed by rejection. It's crushed by it. The idea that I can take the most intimate, deep parts of me and put them out there and you go, hmm, that's gross. That's scary. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with you. 
And so I'm out. Or at best, I'm going to keep you over there. And there becomes this place of which you're not particularly, I don't consider you safe. I don't want to hear that. I'm not going to tell you. So let's just, let's just be good friends. Let's just be roommates. But if we are going to have real intimacy, it requires the most vulnerable, scariest things about us, all of it being out there. And if there's a sense, if there's even a hint or a glimmer that I will put that out there and I will reject you, then intimacy and oneness is impossible. And, and the sexual relationship is the perfect illustration of this. Because you are there and everything about you can be seen. The parts that you work really, really hard to keep hidden are now seen. Yours are being seen, and you see theirs. And there's a sense in which you kind of go like, will you accept this? And that's what makes sex such an incredible illustration and demonstration of the oneness that God is calling us to in marriage. That whether they be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, whatever the things that are going on in me, the, the, the parts that I want to keep hidden, the things that I don't want to be seen, the parts in you that I don't want to see, can we be in a place that says, I... I am willing to share those things with you. And I want you to share those things with me. And no matter what they are, you will get nothing but acceptance from me because I am 100% committed to you. Now Heidi and I have done marriage counseling with dozens of families over the course of the last 25 years. And one of the common things that Heidi and I always say to each other, and we say this to people we're doing the counseling with too, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how people do marriage without Jesus. I don't, know, I don't even know how it's possible. I don't know how it's possible to model and say that I'm going to have unconditional commitment to this person without having it modeled to me by what Jesus Christ did for us by dying on the cross and giving us life with God forever. Where he says that you, once you are his, you are his forever. I don't know how to work through the conflict and the pain and all the frustration and the, and the intensity and, and just the, the scariness. I don't know how to do that except by the Spirit comes inside me and gives me the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, without those things that I can only have if God gives them to me through His Spirit as He's changing me from the inside out. I don't know how I would do it. But if I understand the gospel, the reality of it, and I allow that, that, that change to really happen inside of me, now I can be the husband that God's called me to be. So I would encourage you to start there to reflect and, and, and to think about the, the overwhelming love of God and how God is calling you to give that love away. 
Now, each week we've kind of ended with like some, maybe some difficult questions or whatever that you need to go, a conversation you need to have with your spouse. Do that a little bit different this week. Rather than asking them a question and trying to have a conversation about that, let's do it a little different. At some point in the next couple of days, I want you to, to, to take your spouse by both hands, face to face, look them in the eye and say, I am with you in this no matter what. And if by some chance you can't say that, please let somebody at the church know. And let's, let's, let's get you connected with some people that can help repair whatever the damage currently is in your marriage that is keeping one or both of you from being able to say that. Because all the things that God has called us to, to be in marriage, I mean, obviously we need the power of the gospel. We need the, we need the fruit of the Spirit. And then through that, it requires of us, if we're going to have the intimacy and the oneness that God has called us to, it requires commitment. Let me pray.